Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matt Amore Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of gun control. So this is a topic that's extremely relevant right now, especially in the wake of two mass shootings, one in Dayton and one in El Paso. And it looks like this may be the final straw for gun control, meaning it looks like politicians are actually going to make some moves to implement common sense gun laws. And it's not just on one side of the aisle, it looks like it's on both sides of the aisle. So I wanna get into all the solutions that are being proposed, the pros and cons of those solutions. But I feel like because this issue is so fraught, we need to start with some ground level facts just to get a sense for you know, what the actual state of gun violence in the US is. And so I'll just list a couple facts that I think are relevant. So first of all, at a high level, overall violence has gone down significantly in the past decade in the US. So it's not like there's much more gun violence and gun deaths now than there used to be. And in fact, it's actually a lot safer than it used to be. Likewise, this is per capita or overall? Both. Maybe both, okay. Although I will say that in the last couple of years, Gun, gun violence has gone up a little bit, but if you look at the last decade, it's significantly gone down. Okay. Um, likewise, gun sales are also not greatly higher in the last couple of years than they have been. And in fact, there were more gun sales during the Obama era because a lot of, uh, especially conservatives, were concerned that the liberals were going to implement tough gun laws, so they wanted to get their guns before mm-hmm. those laws were implemented. Mm-hmm. Now, those are sort of the positive indicators. The negative indicators are that even though overall violence is down, hate crimes are up. Also, mass shootings are up. Mm-hmm. So while you're less likely to die from you know, domestic violence now than in the past or from a mugging or that sort of thing, you're more likely to die from a mass shooting in 2019 than you were in 2009. And then the final stat that I'll, that I'll uh, say right now is that the U.S. has far more guns, both in total numbers and per capita, than almost any other country. And it also has by far more gun deaths overall and gun deaths per capita than any other country. I think Yemen is one of the only countries that has actually more gun deaths per capita than the U.S., so and it's a war zone in yemen like exactly exactly so my first question to you is you know taking all these facts into account why is there so much more gun violence in the u.s than in other parts of the world Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this is such a multifaceted issue that it's hard to boil it down to one thing but i have a couple of thoughts the first thing to kind of um, piggyback off of what you were saying, you're saying mass shootings are on the rise and hate crimes are on the rise. At the same time, this might be correlation, might be causation, I don't know. But there's an extreme mental health crisis in the U.S. And there's also a, a rise of extreme ideologies pretty mm-hmm. much everywhere, but especially in the U.S. So when you combine that with how easy it is to get access to guns, get access to assault rifles, military weapons, you know, semi-automatics, all of these things. 
that just spells a recipe for disaster. And I think those, all of those things put into the same pot is kind of leading us to where we are today. Right. So that's, that's what I would say. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, one fact that I found surprising is that most mass shooters do not meet the clinical requirements for having Mm -hmm. mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And that's from a New York times report. And so Mental health is definitely part of the issue, but I think you're right that it's such a multifaceted issue that we can't just say, oh, it's all young white guys who are doing what Trump has been saying through dog Mm -hmm. whistles. Like you cannot blame one person for something like this. And there have been mass shootings before Trump. So Mm -hmm. obviously it runs deeper than that. And if you look at who, you know, who are the typical mass shooters, they do tend to be younger white males who don't have a lot of opportunities in life. And they do tend to spend an inordinate amount of time on the internet and, you know, places like 8chan, which three of the recent mass shooters all had posted their acts. Like their manifesto, right? Yeah, they posted on 8chan and and you know the New York Times did a an interview with the founder of 8chan and it was really interesting how he's kind of against it now because he sees the role that it's playing in the minds of these these uh potential mass shooters and on the message boards they'll say things like oh I'm going to beat this guy's high score like his kill count and it's kind wow. of this like there's this community where people are so disaffected from society that they just have this embitterment. And I, I actually think Jordan Peterson put it, put it the best where he says, they're out for revenge against God for the outrage of creation, for the outrage of being. Where it's wow. like, I mean, and obviously this does not inc- include all mass shooters, but mm-hmm. it does seem like there's a trend where some of these, a lot of times they have not been successful with women and they have not been successful with getting a job. And the only place yeah. where they are successful is, you know, through, you know, playing video games with their friends or on these message boards and just mm-hmm. sort of finding community where there used to not be any sort of community for these types of people to talk with one another. Mm-hmm. Like there have always been people who are, have a predilection to violence or who have mental health issues, but there wasn't always a good way for them to sort of get together and mm-hmm. talk about it. So that is definitely part of the issue, but you know, of course it's so multifaceted that that's really just one element of it. Yeah, it's maybe a big component of mass shootings, but there's also again, way more gun deaths, just regular run of the mill street gun violence is a, that has more deaths per year than mass shooting. So it's Mm -hmm. that part maybe boils down to the ease of getting guns and the ease of, and again, it could be a lot of social unrest in certain areas, you know, that there's a lot of these, um, communities like Baltimore that have just been, you know, affected by gang violence, for example, for a long time, because there's been this systemic racism that basically just keeps people in their, um, in their communities. And that's kind of the only way young kids can, you know, get protect, 
protection is to join a gang. So there's there's so right. many issues here to to discuss. So you know, yeah. I don't know. So I think we should break we should break it down. So we already talked a little bit about mass shootings. The other most it's worth noting mass shootings are a very small percentage of overall gun deaths. It's about zero point one percent of all gun deaths in the U.S. are from mass shootings. So the vast majority of them are actually suicides. That's the biggest number. Mm. The next biggest number are gang-related violence. And a lot of it is black-on-black crime in mm. these inner cities where there's these cycles of violence. And I actually I called my, my cousin, who is a lawyer who used to, uh, he used to work in the gang unit uh, in the DA in Chicago, south side wow. of Chicago. And he talked about how one of the big problems with Chicago is that the laws are really strict in Chicago for obtaining guns, but you mm -hmm. can drive just a couple miles to Indiana and there's essentially no gun laws at all. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. you know, very minor. And there's also gun shows in Indiana that create a loophole because you can mm -hmm. buy guns at these gun shows without providing any sort of identification no background check and they even have this process where kids like 12 13 year old kids who are in these gangs will they're called scrapers where they'll basically scrape off the serial numbers of mm -hmm. the rifles and you know because it, it's it's a felony offense to to take off the serial number from a rifle um which is why they have these small kids do it because they're not going to get, you know, yeah. very minimal time in jail, if any. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's this cycle where having a gun and being able to protect yourself, your friends, your family, that's such a primal desire. But then mm -hmm. part of this gang culture is also you get more status if you, you know, shoot an opposing gang member or mm -hmm. if you actually make a violent act that you're like sort of known for that boosts up your status in that community mm -hmm. and so status and protection are really the two key drivers of why you know gun violence is so prevalent in these in these areas and it creates a cycle of violence because if to gain status you need to shoot opposing members then they're going to want retribution They'll try to shoot you, then you got to get retribution against them, and it just—it's really hard to break that cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can't even leave. I mean, there's there's retaliation if you want to try to leave a gang. So it's it's hard once you're in, and you make these decisions to join a gang at the age of twelve. Like you were saying, these little kids are probably parts—they're probably a part of these gangs, and they can't get out of it. That's mm -hmm. there's literally—I mean, no way without you know, resorting to some sort of violence or without worrying the rest of your life that there's going to be retaliation from, you know, two decades ago, they'll just come somewhere and shoot up your house with your family. Like it's, it's kind of a, a terrible situation. And right. it, it's, it's hard to think of what a solution to that would be. Obviously there are policy changes that need to take place. It's not necessarily going to be fixed through like stricter policing or something like that like there needs to be better social mobility so people don't have to resort to joining these gangs um, at an early age yeah so. and i found it interesting that it's not like there's more 
crimes in the U.S. than in other countries. In fact, there are far more burglaries and assaults even in the Netherlands than in the wow. U.S., which I was surprised by. Mm -hmm. However, when there is a burglary or an assault, you are far more li that is far more likely to end in death in the U.S. than in anywhere in Europe. So mm -hmm. the crimes that do happen, they're far more lethal in the U.S. because there are so many guns around and because the gun culture runs so deep. So mm. I do want to start now talking a little bit about what's being proposed and specifically, how does the left view this issue and how does the right view this issue? And then maybe we can triangulate to what makes the most sense, regardless of party politics. So it seems like people on the left are, they almost don't want to get into the details of it. They just point to a mm. graph that shows number of guns, number of gun deaths, number of guns equals gun death. Therefore, get rid of all the guns. And that's, that's basically as far as it typically gets with, with a lot of people on the left. And the problem with that, there's a couple problems. One is that there's already 300 million guns in the U.S. So even if you stopped the spread, uh, the sale of new guns, there's almost as many guns as there are people in the U.S., yeah. So that's one thing. Another mm. problem is that the Second Amendment runs so deep in so many people that if you try to take people's guns away, if you try to take away those 300 million guns, it could create a civil war. I mean, the amount of people that have their whole identity around gun ownership and that have, wear T-shirts that say, come and take it. And it's yeah. just... Like that is not going to play well if you try to take away all, um, you know, all Americans guns. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, OK, so restricting new gun sales won't really, you know, solve the full problem. And then, uh, you know, taking away guns is not really feasible. Then what do you do? Mm -hmm. So so some things that have been suggested are an assault rifle ban. Right. Yeah. And that seems really straightforward. Like, I, I don't know what's controversial about this. Maybe this is my, I mean, this is my own bias leaking in, but do you need an assault rifle? Like, well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't have, know what your thoughts are, but. Yeah, I have a, I have similar thoughts, I think, to you, which is that it is a weapon of war. And in that sense, it's not like you need this hunting or for self-defense. You can just use a typical, you know, handgun mm -hmm. or rifle a hunting rifle would be enough. Yeah. However, Sam Harris makes the point that the only real advantage of an assault weapon over a handgun is it's much more accurate at range. So at distances of 100 meters or more, you can yeah. have more accurate gunfire with an assault rifle than the best marksman in the world with a handgun. But at close range, there's really no real benefit of an assault rifle over a handgun. In fact, there's even some advantages of having a handgun because it's easier to conceal, first of all. Mm -hmm. So you could get into like a school or a movie theater much more easily. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also it's it's harder to take someone down who has a pistol than a rifle because you could just sort of like grab the barrel Right. So yeah. and, and then the, the final point is that if you just look at the numbers, there are far more even mass shootings that are performed with a handgun than with an assault rifle. It's just that the most highly publicized ones mm -hmm. tend to be with an assault rifle. But 
I will say that one thing that Sam Harris leaves out that I think is an important point is the coolness factor of an assault rifle for these kids that grew up playing video games and are basically bragging to their friends on 8chan about these Mm -hmm. shootings. Like Scott Adams had an idea. He was like, what if we just required that all assault rifles were painted pink? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think that you think they would still use them? Like (laughs) after, after painting them black again, maybe. (laughs) Right. It's not like a serious solution, but it does point (laughs) out a, an interesting fact, which is that like part of the reason it's not because they're more effective. It's because they look badass to the people that use them. Mm -hmm. So uh, personally, I think it makes sense to do an assault rifle ban. We should just we should just be aware that it's more of a symbolic step than something that's actually going to curtail gun violence. Because like like we said earlier, it's only zero point one percent of all gun deaths in the U.S. that are uh, mass shootings, and it's a subset of that that are with assault rifles. Hmm. Yeah. So. What are some of the other um, proposals? So there's the assault rifle ban. There, yeah. I know I, uh, I listened to uh, Bernie Sanders on Joe Rogan's podcast the other day, and he was talking about you know making sure we close this gun show loophole. Yeah, which that's a big I one. I totally agree with because when even if the gun show people don't want to sell their guns to some individual, anybody like if you buy guns from somebody who bought from a gun show so like a secondary sale that person even if they didn't meet the federal like a fbi requirements of owning a gun it's totally legal to sell the gun to them since it's secondary market so there's just a couple of things you can do like banning that loophole and also banning assault rifles and i'm curious what what other you know first steps you think we could take yeah, so some of some of these steps seem just like total no-brainers, you know. Mm-hmm. Everyone should have a a background check and if you have a criminal record or if people have restraining orders out against you or if you've beaten your wife in the past or whatever, you should not own a gun. That seems very clear. Yeah. Um and and I think having these these background checks across all states so you can't just drive over to the nearby state is so mm-hmm. key. So that's that's like a clear no-brainer. Some other things that have been proposed, like just today Chuck Schumer proposed that there is a uh, body armor regulation. So you wouldn't be able to buy body armor unless you went through some, you know, much heavier vetting process that like you have to state an actual reason why you need this body armor. So that's that was I thought an interesting uh, gun control measure. Um, there's also, you know, in Australia they bought back people's guns and then destroyed them, but I doubt most Americans. Yeah, I don't see that being no, effective here. No, really the the one. Uh, oh, sorry. One other thing I'll say before I'd say the one that I think is actually the best solution is red flag laws. So red flag laws are interesting because it essentially allows you to tell the police if you think someone close to you is not fit to own a gun. So let's say you're, you know, you're a woman and your husband has been, you know, threatening you with violence and talking about how he's going to get a gun you could then essentially call the cops and they could revoke his Second Amendment rights. So 
that's one. I wonder if that could backfire where the, you know, the either the male, the let's say a husband, calls the cops and tells them her his wife is acting dangerously, so then he can be aggressive towards her. You know, there's. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm mixed on this as well because if you implement something like that, you're pretty much guaranteeing that some not insignificant amount of people will have their rights removed without a fair process. Yeah, it would I would I could see this being a thing where like gangs or you know maybe it wouldn't it wouldn't trickle to the gang violence, but I was originally thinking maybe one gang would like name all of the other gangs or or all the other members of an opposing right, gang right. and like get them banned. So it seems like it would be used more for making sure other people don't have guns so you can be more violent. Um, uh, it maybe could not be. more. It's I don't hard, know. It's hard to say. Yeah, that's that's a hard question. But it I don't And think then the other the alternative to a red flag law is basically using data science and predictive crime to mm. say, okay, this person fits the profile, they tend to hang out with known gang members and uh-huh. based on where they've been they are highly likely to commit an act of violence and they already have predictive policing methods like this and a mm-hmm. lot of times they've people have have cried out about them being uh you know racist and stereotyping so that also has some serious drawbacks and i don't know about you but i'm not too keen on living in the world of minority report where they can arrest people before they've committed a crime. Um, yeah. Given quantum uncertainty, it just seems like that's a that's a dark rabbit hole to go down. Mm-hmm. Even though it seems fairly likely that some version of that will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I want to tell you about the solution that I actually think makes the most sense. And I I haven't heard anyone propose this, but this is just my own idea. Is okay. Well, first, the first part is something that's been proposed, which is you need a license to own a firearm. And the stringency should be similar to that of owning a pilot's license. You know, dozens of hours of training, safety training, tactical training. And but here's the key that hasn't been proposed. If this training was not done by the company that sells the guns or the gun shop, but if it was instead some sort of third-party entity that did not have any incentive to sell you guns. So the, the incentive is purely to train people to the best of their ability and also to flag anyone who they think ha- is suspicious as far as why they want a gun. So if you could basically make people go through this training process and then you know you have like ex-army guys or whatever who are the mm-hmm. instructors and they, you know, through their training, they get to know these people and they say, hey, this guy, this guy's probably not someone who should be owning a gun. That guy's fine. This guy just wants to protect his family. But I think mm-hmm. that kind of a system would be really good because, you know, the, the, I feel like that person would have the best sense of if someone is not well to, to be owning a gun. And you'd sort of remove yeah. the incentives that are currently messing things up where a gun shop wants to sell you a gun so they kind of try to go through the paperwork as easy as possible Mm -hmm. i would be curious to see what happens in that case with all of the existing guns so do we basically have a time period like within the next five years anyone who wants to keep their permit 
needs to go through this rigorous training, for example, or prove that you can pass, you know, some sort of tests with your guns. Like, yeah, because it seems like a big tough. problem is that the guns are already out there. Like, it's not right. there's it's not a big issue of like buying new guns. I mean, yes, people are still buying new guns, but we have more guns than people in the country right now. So it's right. not particularly hard to you know or people probably already have their guns for the most part yeah although i still think that we should do what we can to prevent mm -hmm. violence even if it's not a full solution yeah we need to take the steps yeah. in the right direction and if you if you did have a law where you know for instance you can't just give your guns to someone and in most states, like in California, that's true. You have to go through a licensed gun broker. You can't just give your gun to your, your girlfriend or your friend or your brother. You have to actually mm -hmm. go through a licensed broker. If you made that law the same in all states and mm -hmm. you required training for all new gun owners, then you may not make much of a much of a big difference in like, you know, the next couple of years, but in the next couple of decades it would be a huge difference because any new person who owns a gun would have to go through the training. And as you know, the owners of these 300 million guns start to get old and die off, they can't just give it to their kin, at least legally they can't. So mm -hmm. the new kin would have to uh, you know, go through the training themselves to yeah. obtain the, you know. So I think that would be a good sort of uh, step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I could see that. And then really, I think banning certain types of weapons like this, the, the automatics, uh, the semi-automatic stuff like that would be a good way to go going forward. You know, well, automatics thing, and semi-automatics are different, are distinct. That's true. Okay. So semi-auto banning, um, ma banning semi-automatics, I think is a non-starter just given like what percentage I of guess guns are semi-automatic. I guess some pistols are even semi-auto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess assault rifle is the big one. But there's right. also the thing that I was also thinking of is there I – was, I was at dinner with um, a big group of people the other day, and there was this one guy that was talking about how in Missouri one time he – was at some farm and the owner of that farm had a 50 cal sniper rifle. <laughs> and if, if you're on a, like, if you don't know a 50 cal sniper rifle is, it has so much power. It can literally blow up a car. Wow. Um, yeah. And they were talking about and jokingly talking about how they just shot a lamb and it literally exploded into pieces. Wow. And this is, this is, one of the most powerful like sniper rifles there is to my knowledge and like why do you need that like why right. do you need that sort of gun and that's that's the sort of thing that i think i mean for you we need to get rid of that's interesting well let's talk about the scenarios where you would actually need that because that gets into the sort of the mindset so mm -hmm. either something is seriously wrong with you if you need that for defense or like yeah. you think everyone's trying to get you, you think everyone's like, you know, if you're in the conspiracy theory rabbit hole or something is actually really wrong with society, mm -hmm. meaning doomsday. And this is a big motivator for why people buy guns is and it's yeah. not that far fetched. Like, for instance, I live in California. If there was mm -hmm. a major earthquake, which we talked about in a recent episode, 
it could result in some looting, like people just going house to house, stealing all your stuff, maybe, you know, sexually assaulting your loved ones, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And in that case, it's worthwhile to have the you know most powerful defense yeah <laughs> that you that you could so i guess like the doomsday is one situation where yeah you may actually want to have an ar-15 or a sniper rifle if it's that level of like you know messed up society um, mm -hmm. but the to me the core ethical case for why you should own a gun is that purely for self-defense in like a normal situation, like a home entry sort of a thing. And right. the, the prototypical example is if you're a young, a young mother and a man breaks into your house with a knife and he's going to assault you, mm. but thankfully you have a gun and you shoot him. That's a totally ethically just case. And even mm. if you banned all guns, if you banned all guns, then you just have this like buff man coming in with a knife and a defenseless mother, like what is she mm -hmm. supposed to do? Like karate chop him? Like the <laughs> yeah, reason it, that guns are key is it gives you an advantage over brute strength, which has been mm -hmm. the dominating force up until guns were invented. Right. Yeah. I mean, it gets people on an equal field, on an equal playing field when it comes to uh, strength. But yeah, it, it's always good to think about those cases because I'm not, I'm not saying that it's bad for everybody to own guns. Like, I think it's actually probably a good thing to be able to have a pistol that you can protect your home, especially mm -hmm. in the dead of night. Like, if somebody is breaking into your house at night, they're most likely aware that somebody is in the house, and they're yeah. prepared to act violently. Mm -hmm. Personally, like, I, I'm not afraid to say this, I would very easily, without hesitation, shoot a person that entered the house, entered my house, in the middle of the night yeah. because there's there's no reason that I should expect them to act cordially and mm -hmm. I've heard people I don't know who said this but it was an interview I heard a while back where someone it, it was a left argument where they were basically saying well I would want to sit this person down and talk to them <laughs> like are you kidding me yeah. do you think that that person is in the state of mind to be sat down and lectured about like why it is that they were they felt the need to enter your house that night right like, right yeah it's not like these mass shooters go in trying to talk they don't they don't have any demands they just want to kill and yeah that is something that may happen so preparing for the worst possible case scenario is not crazy especially mm -hmm. if you think that the worst case scenario is even worse than death you know, which yeah. your loved ones getting harmed, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually so partially for research for this episode and partially for my own just feelings of wanting to mm -hmm. be able to protect my my house and my family. Mm -hmm. I went out and got a gun yesterday. Okay. So I thought it'd be interesting to tell the process of what it actually takes to get a gun. OK, so I went to my local gun shop in Culver City. And I decided on the type of gun I want, which is just a simple nine millimeter pistol by Heckler and Koch, this German mm -hmm. company, um, which was mentioned in this Murakami novel that I'm currently reading as like a really <laughs> capable, uh, yeah. you know, well-made pistol. It's the only reason why I got that, that particular <laughs> gun. <laughs> 
Um, and then I was like, okay, great. I'd like this gun. And they said, okay, have you taken your safety test? And I was like, no. And they said, okay, here's your test. So they give me this multiple choice. It's 30 questions. And they say, you have to get at least 23 of them right to pass the test. So I hadn't done any preparation at this point, like thinking about gun law. And by the way, I'm in California, which is one of the strictest gun states in the country. And so I take this test. I got uh, 26 out of 30. So I got four of them mm -hmm. wrong. So I passed. And then they ran. They said, OK, now we need to you know, prove your identity. So I gave them my license and I gave them my car registration. They scanned it. While they were scanning it, they taught me uh, basic gun instructions. So they taught me how to lock the gun so that it can't be fired. And they taught me how to load the gun, how to unload the gun, and just basic safety precautions, how to store it. And it only took like mm -hmm. maybe, maybe one minute, the, the whole safety instructions thing. Wow. And then I paid for the gun and I left. And they said that I had to wait 10 days until I can pick it up. But so you can't okay. do something rash in the moment. Like I need a gun now and then you go do something rash. You have to wait at least yep. 10 days, but you cannot, you cannot wait longer than 30 days or else you have to redo the whole like background check process. Hmm. So I actually thought this was a fairly good process, but it yeah. still is totally inadequate from my point of view to what it should be. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this is like the most strict possible way to get a yeah. gun. And the fact that it's so much easier than getting my driver's license where I actually had to take classes and like, you know, do an, an, mm -hmm. like hear instructions that were more than 60 seconds long. Yeah. Like I, I feel like the right process would be to go th like do a whole training course. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you need to wait longer than 10 days and maybe you do need to provide a reason for why you, why you should own a gun, and maybe you maybe you should get a like a character reference from someone who lives with you, yeah. or, or something like that. Um, but it was interesting. Just the process, even in California, is really easy, far easier than you know. It's like on par with getting a you know medical cannabis recommendation. <laughs> it's like you know. And it's way easier in other states. I mean, in other states, you don't have to show anything. You just go in and put down your money and you get it. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Did you get a chance to go to a shooting range and test it out or? No, because I don't have it yet. I'm still in the 10 day period. Oh, I see. So you bought it and then it's there at the store still? Yeah. Or can you... Okay, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I went to a shooting range once and the first thing I shot was a... Uh... 358 or 357 magnum revolver pistol i i mean it's so powerful yeah. i don't think i don't think most people realize how much power is in your hands when you're holding a gun and it's and when i felt that like it it scared me like i mm -hmm. i was i was a little terrified when i when i shot it like i was shaking cuz it i had so oh, much yeah. adrenaline running through my system i like i set it down and had to you know take some deep breaths some other pistols are not as powerful as that revolver but yeah I it's think, so loud too and I, yeah i think one of the things that's the issue is the fact that people do feel so powerful with 
the gun. They feel like they're in control of a situation mm-hmm. and they can command a situation because they own a gun. Yeah. Well, I've heard about that as being a big driver of suicide among the same types of demographics of people who commit mass shootings, which are mm-hmm. typically white men who feel like they're losers in society. And mm-hmm. they see their gun as their protector. This is their this is where they get their power. This is where they get their protection. Mm-hmm. They polish mm-hmm. it every night. They go to the gun range. And when they have those times of distress where their wife just left them or they just lost their job or what or whatever it is, they turn it on themselves and they kill themselves. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of a separate issue in my mind than the the other types of gun violence like right because i don't know personally i kind of feel like you should be able to kill yourself whenever you damn well please <laughs> yeah i Even, mean I, i'm you know i'm i'm with you that's and that's something we talked about in the future of death mm-hmm. i think if anybody's interested because i mean you know but you can get our opinions on that episode but it's I, I agree like it's you have your right to that it doesn't necessarily constitute gun violence i right. don't think like and that's not to say that we shouldn't still implement all of the mental health yeah um yeah. you know resources and everything everything mm-hmm. that's related there yeah um it would be nice you know just on a side note it would be good if there was a way to have a system sort of like how Switzerland has their heroin thing where you can go in get free heroin, but you also have to enroll in a treatment plan to like become right. not addicted. I would be curious to see what a situation would be if suicide was legal and sanctioned by organizations. They're like, okay, you come in, you want to commit suicide. You have to go through this process before you can go through with committing suicide, for example. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, that might be a quick policy change to get that sort of thing down because we can actually get people the help they need and we can make sure that people are given, you know, I'm, I think people commit suicide with guns because it's likely that it, there's no pain involved. Right, right. So, you know, anyways, that was sort of a, a, a tangent, but yeah. Well, I want to talk about some of the high-tech gun solutions that are being proposed because this doesn't mm-hmm. tend to get as much attention. But there are you know, personalized guns with biosensors have been proposed. And this is essentially like fingerprint technology where only you can fire the gun because it's personalized to your biometric data. So that mm-hmm. would prevent things like you know your kid getting a hold of your gun and shooting you or shooting himself. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting solution. Um, it's also worth noting that, you know, this is something that Sam Harris talks about. The NRA has this as a talking point, but it is statistically true, which is that if you own a gun and a swimming pool in your house, the swimming pool is a hundred times more likely to kill your kid than the gun. Wow. So that that does just put it into a little bit of perspective of of the relative risk, but of course mm-hmm. you should do everything in po- everything in your power to prevent that happen to prevent either the death in the swimming pool or the death in you know as a result of mm-hmm. the gun. Right. So the the biometric data is one way to do that, um, and then there are if there was an, a true alternative to a gun, 
that was just as effective. Like you could imagine something that like you, sh you shoot it at someone and they immediately become unconscious without dying. Like yeah. no matter what sort of body armor they have or anything, like you shoot this person with this like sound wave or whatever it is. Yeah. And they just get knocked out immediately. If there were that sort of technology, then I think the conversation would change dramatically from mm -hmm. the self-defense perspective. But the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, self-defense is like the most obvious ethical case, but it's not necessarily what the founders intended with the Second Amendment. Because if you read the Second Amendment, okay, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So that's the actual language of the Second Amendment. And mm -hmm. a couple things to note there. First is a well-regulated militia. So right there in the Second Amendment is, hey, we got to regulate this stuff. It's not like everyone can run around with rocket launchers, you know? Yep, right, yeah. I mean, even though rocket launchers didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. but, and then the other part that's interesting is necessary to the security of a free state. So this sort of gets at the idea of it's not for self-defense, really. It's so that you can sort of fight back against a potentially corrupt authoritarian federal government or mm -hmm. like invasion by another country. And right. this is sort of a separate issue from self-defense, which is how do we maintain our own, our democracy, even if there's a corrupt government in place or even if, you know, uh, other countries try to come and infiltrate our, our government and tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on, is this even relevant anymore, given that there's like drone strikes and SWAT teams yeah. and facial recognition? And like, is it a valid argument to have bear, to bear arms for that reason? Yeah. So first, short, no, I don't think it's that's a valid thing anymore, because if seriously, even if you got a thousand, if you got the entire city of los angeles organized the government would still crush them if everyone had an assault rifle in the city of los angeles there are bombs there are drone strikes you are not like you don't survive that you don't survive against the high-tech weapons the government has but don't you think it would also make it more difficult for an authoritarian government to take control Especially if not every gun is logged in a registry, which is the case right now. There's a lot of just unregistered guns floating around, you know, and this is kind of like what happened in Vietnam, guerrilla warfare, where it does make it a lot more difficult when you can go into civilian houses and you never know if there's going to be someone, you know, standing there with a gun. Yeah, I think the military is so highly trained in these situations, we still don't stand a chance. Like literally, so Vietnam was kind of the first time we experienced that, but there have been there's been a lot of experience the military has gained through the fighting in Afghanistan, Iraq, and um, like I particularly hear these stories about um, Ramadi. I think this mm -hmm. was in the early 2000s when they were um, the ISIS over there. stronghold. Yeah, it was it was 
it's one of those things where you walk into any house, you have no idea what's on the other side of the door. Yes, there's intelligence going on and there's intelligence operations, but it's really imperfect information. Mm -hmm. The amount of information that the U.S. has about its own citizens is probably much higher than we have about Iraqi civilians on their turf. So I, I still think there's literally no chance in the world that we could f- stand up against the government unless there were factions of our own government that broke off and we had, you know, some of those weapons. But if there are no weapon, if we have no weapons that are in the military arsenal right now, like I said, no chance. At least that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Which is kind of terrifying also, just mm-hmm. to know that it don't stand much of a chance. I mean, to really stand a chance, you'd have to own some serious tech, like black helicopters and plutonium. Yeah. And like, yeah. And yeah, so I agree. I mean, and, and it's worth noting that the real argument now is different than what the founders intended. The real argument now is more about self-defense and... And also the freedom of hunting, right? Hunting is a big yeah. part of our culture. Yeah. And any gun that's good enough to kill an animal is good enough to kill a human. So unless right. you're going to ban all hunting rifles, you're not really addressing the gun issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something else that's been suggested is magazine limits, which is sort of a you know, it's a good step yeah. where, like in California, you can't have a gun that has more than 10 rounds in it, right. in the magazine. Other other states, it can be as much as 100. So I think mm-hmm. getting everyone to that, you know, sort of level would be good. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it might be a good time, unless you have something else you want to discuss, maybe we should get into the future scenarios now. Yeah, so I would just say one more thing, and maybe we talk a little bit about how other countries are okay, doing yeah. their gun control. And, you know, there's a lot of different countries. The two that stuck out to me were Japan and Germany. Yes, yes. So oh, J- yeah. Japan, Japan's gun control is no guns. No guns, no swords. Like, the, it's very very um well there is you can get a gun but it's a really uh process right yeah so that was a broad statement but it boils down to like it's extremely extremely difficult to get a gun in japan like there's it's Mm -hmm. one of the lowest um crime like gun um murders per capita in the world i think um Mm. just because there are just so few guns um, and there's there are some issues with like the yakuza um, mafia. I think that's the mm-hmm. the Japanese word for mafia. I, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. Um, well, well, the re- the thing I don't know if you're about to touch on this, but the interesting thing about Japan is that you know a lot of people will say, oh, it's not the fact that we have so many guns in America, and it's not the divisiveness of our political parties. Really, mm-hmm. it's these damn video games that these kids <laughs> are playing. And that's why, so we don't need to ban guns at Walmart. We just need to take the video games off the shelf for a couple of weeks. And that'll totally (laughs) solve the problem. And you know what? We can solve the opioid epidemic. We just got to hide the DVDs of A Star is Born. Uh, And then we'll, 
So, but the interesting counter to that is Japan and South Korea. Yeah. Because in Japan and South Korea, there are much higher rates of playing violent video games than mm -hmm. in the U.S. And yet there are virtually no, you know, mass shootings. Whereas it's, you know, become much, very prevalent in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world. So mm. the video game argument, I think we can debunk. It, it, it may right. be, it, I mean, for sure, it's a contributing factor. If you're someone who already feels like a loser, you hate your life, you're a young male, none of the girls are giving you the time of day, and then you're spending all your free time shooting people in Call of Duty, that is certainly going to have a role to play. Because the contents of your consciousness are what rise to the top mm -hmm. when you're deciding what to do. I mean, that's just the way that, that life uh, experience mm -hmm. works. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a, a good counterexample. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so they, that is a situation that I don't think we'll ever see in the U.S., um, mm -hmm. you know, just because... You're, we're not going to pull the guns from, you know, 300 or I don't know how many Americans own guns, but we, we're not going to pull all of those guns from people. But right. the, the last country that I'll talk about is uh, Germany. And I find Germany interesting is because they are they have one of the highest um, weapons per person in the world, but also one of the lowest on gun crime. Hmm. Um, but this, the reason this is the case is because they went through a series of shootings, um, I think it was back in the 90s, early 2000s, that caused a couple of the big political changes. But they first made a change that um, you basically, if you're under 25 and you're, you're trying to get a gun for the first time, you go under um, rigorous mental, uh, psychological um, evaluation Mm -hmm. Um, and they also made a law where there's only one gun per person. So it's not like one person has all the guns in the world, Interesting. Like, like 10 guns. And then if somebody shows any signs in the future of being mentally unstable at all, the person is brought in for further evaluation and you know, that you can get rid of their gun hmm. and they're, I just find them to be a model that we can probably move towards because they do have a lot of guns, but they also have very low gun crime. Right, um, right. So that I think Germany was an interesting example. And I know there are some others like Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah, Australia and New Zealand, they just don't have the same gun culture that the U.S. has. So mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to pass gun control legislation there and not get right. huge pushback. So I think that's that's the problem with drawing a correlation between what Australia and New Zealand are doing. And mm -hmm. the the idea of only being able to own one gun, I think it's, you know, limiting the amount of guns to some degree is a good thing. But mm -hmm. if you have a house that has two entrances where a criminal could come from either entrance and you would really only be safe you really would only be, you know, you would need to have two guns in order to feel safe because you don't know where in your house you're going to be when an intruder comes right. in. I could see mm -hmm. an argument for owning, you know, at least like, you know, up to three or five guns, maybe. Maybe we cap mm -hmm. it at like three guns or five guns um, mm -hmm. for the self-defense yeah. reason. Right. Um, but then I, I think it's interesting what the 
other solutions are that are not gun control that are proposed to solve the gun violence issue. And these are mostly solutions coming from the right. And so one we already talked about, which is more mental health services. I think everyone can agree that that's something we should do. Another one that's been really controversial is the idea of having more security guards, especially in places like schools, movie theaters, whatever, mm-hmm. or actually arming teachers themselves. Um, so yeah. I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for like armed trained security guards and stuff in in places. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it sounds good to arm teachers, but I think forcing teachers to go get you know guns and have gun training, I think that would cause quite a few issues because I know yeah. that a lot of teachers don't want that. I think forcing it would be more of a problem and do more harm than good. Um, But it would ultimately, I mean, it's still the self-defense thing. Like if you're in a home, it's good to have a gun. If somebody comes in and tries to hurt your family, it's the same sort of thing. If you're in a school and, you know, at that time, your kids, you know, as a teacher, the kids are sort of like your family. You need to protect them. Like, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily need to be every teacher that owns one. But I think if, a gunman is outnumbered quite a bit, there's like not a great chance that they're going to make it to, you know, you know, killing a bunch of people in school. Right. Plus it's worth noting that almost all of the mass shootings from the 1970s to today have been in quote unquote gun free zones. So by making a zone gun free, it actually becomes a much more attractive target to a mass Mm -hmm. shooter. So, but it, you're right that most teachers do not want guns anywhere near it. Like there's this yeah. one stat that, you know, I shared with you, which is that asking teachers if they would feel more or less safe if teachers and staff members were armed, 58% of them said they would feel less safe. Only mm-hmm. 20% said they would feel safer and the other percentage aren't really sure. Mm-hmm. So... But I think part of that's because teachers tend to be really liberal. So they tend to just feel like, oh, if there's any guns, it's just going to create issues. Right. But I guarantee you, if an active shooter actually came into your school, you would not feel any (laughs) any safety from knowing that there's no guns anywhere on campus. Like, yeah. And it's, it's all about having the right people that have them. Like, you know, you you don't want some mentally unwell teacher who's going to use it to threaten his students or something like that. But if you have a teacher who did three tours in Iraq and is a totally upstanding citizen, like I think it makes sense for that person to mm-hmm. have a gun. The other thing that has not been uh, proposed at all, but I think is relevant when we think of far future, is robot security, right? Like if you put a robot at, the, at every entrance of a school that has facial recognition that basically says if someone comes to the door who is armed and they're not like a verified like police officer or whatever, Mm -hmm. then that person will be subdued, whether like if they're shot by the robot or whatever. Yeah. The, the being shot by the robot (laughs) makes me think that gives me pause, but I think, I think that in general, that could be a very good way to screen for people coming 
somewhere, like coming mm-hmm. into whether it's a big train terminal or a movie theater or something like that. It's just better safety mechanisms in place. It's more preventive than having guns. And I, I think these preventive measures, and maybe this is something we can talk about in our scenarios, but I think preventive measures are probably the best way to go when it comes to mm-hmm. some of this. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess the final thing is, because a lot of these mass shooters seek fame and notoriety, the the less we talk mm-hmm. about them individually, the better. So not naming them, yeah. um, not mm-hmm. giving them any sort of glory, yeah. that's also key. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's get into the future scenarios. Cool. All right, Justin, what is the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario. Yeah, so in my worst case scenario, the first thing is we don't do anything about gun control. Um, It pretty much stays the way it is. It's super easy to get guns. And also this is sort of focused on the U.S. because other countries tend to have this more figured out than we do. Um, But at the same time that we do nothing about gun control, we have more extreme ideology spreading the mental health crisis gets worse and worse. We have political situations and social cultural situations that keep people in these, these loops of violence, like the gangs we talked about, or keeps people feeling like they're disenfranchised and sort of, you know, not part of society and ostracized by society, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think if, if all of these things happen, it could lead to a situation where there are like little baby militaries like in in conjunction with 8chan and some of these forums if people like this get together and coordinated and they coordinate their attacks like we could see these sorts of uh, mass shootings and this sort of gang violence rise to a level that is unheard of yeah. So I, I think that that's sort of the worst case is it just continues to escalate further and further to the point where the U.S. is a war zone, sort of like a Yemen, for example. And it could even mm-hmm. get to the point where it's like there is literally a civil war in the U.S. because, you know, yeah. everyone everyone has these extreme views. It's like my way or the highway. And then everyone else is, you know, fighting against that. And then it just resorts to violence. And, you know, it's that's sort of what I'm thinking in the worst case. Yeah. Yeah. My, my worst case is two part and they're sort of both extremes of the gun control issue. So the Mm -hmm. first part is pretty much exactly what you were stating, which is that Mm -hmm. if things keep getting worse, if there continue to be fewer and fewer opportunities for young men growing up in society, especially as automation, uh, you know, moves, moves, uh, and progresses, and, you know, they're not able to earn a living if there's no sort of basic income. So they can't move out of their mom's basement and mm-hmm. they're just perceived as losers, especially because the culture of America is very much you're either a winner or you're a loser. It's not like these Scandinavian countries where everyone's just a person who has value. <laughs> it's like very it's a very stark divide in America mm-hmm. uh, from the culture. So if that continues and there isn't gun control, I think, like you said, there could be, you know, these people could find 
communities of other hateful people, hateful men online, and then they could commit some serious crimes. Like I, I could see like them getting really upset at private companies. You know, we've already had people who have gone and tried to bomb like BuzzFeed and Apple and, you know, stuff like that wow, yeah. because they just, they get so pissed that they haven't been, or, or uh, you know, someone came to get Google because their, his YouTube channel got shut down because he had hateful rhetoric. And so he drove all the way over there to do something. He had weapons with him. So you could imagine that sort of situation if there is nothing done with gun control. But I would say, more importantly, if there is nothing done to solve the underlying root cause of why there's so much anger and hostility for these young white men. And, you know, to, to uh, gang members who aren't, mm -hmm. aren't always white men and to people who kill themselves. There's really like multiple issues at multiple mm -hmm. types of, of gunmen that we need to consider. It's not like mm -hmm. one, one size fits all. Yep. The other part of my worst case is if there is much too aggressive gun control measures and it would spark a civil war because we're trying to take away all the guns. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, people on the right have made loud and clear that if their people come to take their guns, they're not going down without a fight. And if you had, especially if the government was actually corrupt, like if it was a mm -hmm. true fascist regime and they went door to door taking people's guns, that would be also a horrible situation because we would be more powerless to the authoritarian government and it would just, a lot of violence would ensue from trying to take people's guns. So in mm -hmm. my view, the worst case, whether there's much too extreme gun control, like taking people's guns, that would result in a lot of deaths. Or if nothing is done about gun control and nothing is done about the root causes of why there's so much hatred and hostility and embitterment mm -hmm. for society, that is also a, a worst case scenario. Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are then on the best case. Best case scenario. Yeah, so the best case is we solve the root cause. We don't solve the symptoms of the cause. Like banning assault rifles, bump stocks, like that's all great. I think it makes sense that we should do that, especially because it eliminates the frequency with which people can reload and it also makes it less mm. cool you know <laughs> yeah so i think that's good but it really doesn't solve the core issue if we make changes so that young men do have more opportunities to find mm. fulfillment in life i think that is the best case scenario and mm. i think part of that would be a universal basic income like andrew yeah. yang has proposed where when you turn 18 and, and maybe it's tied to, you know, maintaining, be, you know, maintaining your good status as a citizen and not committing acts of violence, like whatever incentives are, are tied to that. If yep. people can then depend on a certain amount of income per month, then they can actually feel like they have some independence. They can go pursue what they want to do in life. They don't feel like a total loser lo living in their, mo in their mom's basement. Yeah. Um, Honestly, maybe if they have a sex robot, they won't feel as as yeah, inadequate honestly, with women. Yeah. They won't, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then the issue of fulfillment also. 
that's more of a cultural question because in America, it's so much about like becoming rich and wealthy and powerful. And yet every year, a smaller and smaller percentage of people are able to actually, you know, reach up to that tier of society. Right. So if we can sort of change the culture a little bit so that you feel like you have self-worth, even if you're not super wealthy and successful, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you just do what you're passionate about instead. Maybe you, you know, become a, you know, a musician and you have a small following, but you're, you know, a small following, but your friends like, like what you do, or you, you, you play video games and people follow you on Twitch <laughs> or whatever, and maybe they're not as violent, like, I don't know what yeah. the right solution is. Obviously, it's different for every single person, what mm-hmm. they find fulfillment in. But I guess the final thing I'll say in my best case is if there was some real coming of age sort of ceremony mm-hmm. where you feel like you're part of society and there's like some real tradition that is totally lacking in America, which is present in other places, I think that would also help. Like, honestly, if everyone took Mm -hmm. mushrooms and went into the wilderness when they turned 18 or 25, like, I think that would make a serious, like, I think we would statistically see a decrease in all, like, types of violence if we did that, for instance. And if we had UBI so people can actually do what they want, that would be great. If we had a better education system and and if the media wasn't as divisive. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. those would all be steps in in the direction of the best case scenario as I see it. Yeah, I mean, you touched on most everything that I was going to say. So, you know, just to kind of reiterate, yes, we need to solve the root cause. Like, we, that's that's by far something that would be the best case. Like, we don't need to worry about you know who has guns. What like it would be it would be way easier if we could just give people meaning in their life. And Mm -hmm. make sure people have mobility so they can move out of whatever social situation they're in or cultural situation or societal, you know, we just need people to be able to move if they're not in a good situation. Mm -hmm. Like in um, like gangs, for example, in inner cities, people should be able to get out and it shouldn't be such an onerous process to Mm -hmm. do that. Like it it shouldn't be. Right. Plus, like with gangs in the inner city. A lot of these kids, they have this idea that they will never make any money unless they Mm -hmm. sell drugs or they join a gang Mm -hmm. because there's just so few opportunities in these these places where they live. So if you Mm -hmm. had some sort of universal basic income, then they wouldn't feel like they have no no choices in life. And I guess another thing on drugs is if we did legalize and regulate all drugs, that would mm-hmm. seriously make a dent in gang violence because there would be no market for illegal drugs. Yeah, I mean that's that's where that's what a lot of the revenue sources of gangs are is drug violence, and then right. th- one of the other revenue sources is guns. Like, yeah, <laughs> if we can solve both of these things and regulate them properly, like we're probably not going to have those sorts of issues anymore. So yeah I, yeah, I think you said you kind of hit the. The nail on the head the one thing i would say you know if i were to really contrive uh, ultimate best case is sort of a kumbaya situation where everybody just loves each other and nobody needs guns we don't even need a military everyone is just you know a, a human an earthling that and we can all live in harmony but yeah i mean <laughs> i think that's... that would only be possible with 
uh, gene editing technology so that you yeah. basically control so there's no psychopaths in the population. Yeah. And that like brings a, with it other other concerns. Yeah, that that world would probably only exist in a virtual reality world. Yeah. All right, should we move on to the yeah. most likely scenario? Yeah, let's do it. Most likely scenario. So I think it's I think it is likely that something will happen this time around. It seem it feels different than the previous mass shootings. It feels like there are going to be changes that are made. I would guess that the most likely change is a ban on assault on assault weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like we said earlier, I don't know if that's going to make any sort of real impact in. The actual gun, gun deaths it's such a yeah. small percentage like yeah it might it might make people feel safer because maybe there are f- will be some fewer mass shootings but i i think even that is unlikely so mm-hmm. i think my my most likely scenario is assault rifles get banned or some similarly modest steps get taken in the direction of gun control maybe background checks will become yeah. something that are required in all states. Mm-hmm. And, but I think it will not fully solve the problem. So I think this is, there's still going to be the yo-yo of the right and the left deciding what to do for the next decade or two until we really settle on our, our gun policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty much, you know, what I was thinking. I, Really, I, I don't think there's going to be many sweep, sweeping changes that get pushed through in a Trump presidency. I do think some really common sense um, controls, like the assault weapon ban, like um, some some mental health checks or background checks for for all of this stuff. But I think there's just too much power that's given to the NRA right now that are they're probably going to be able to sway some of these policies. Mm-hmm. Um, in what I would consider an unfavorable way, favorable to the NRA, unfavorable to you know, yeah. pretty much everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna start out well, but I do think, like, I think there will probably be at least one more mass shooting before something really happens, and I hope it's not soon. Like, I, I hope it doesn't happen ever, but you know, it's it's one of those things that. We're, you know, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm more pessimistic about this because um, it seems like yeah. we run through this. We run through this every time. It seems like, especially Vegas, like mm-hmm. that should have been that should have been more than enough for people right. to realize assault ref assault weapons are. And not that one is that case is interesting because he actually had the full advantage that is given by an assault weapon. He was up in a window from long range. If he had just had a handgun, he wouldn't have done nearly as much damage. So I think that's a better example than Newtown or, or some of these other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that w- that should have been the catalyst, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sort of pessimistic about this. But I think eventually we will get to that point. Yeah. And, you know, Elon Musk just endorsed Andrew Yang. For president, really, I and, didn't see that one. And Andrew, when did he do that? 
Oh, just like maybe yesterday, Elon for Yang was trending on Twitter. And, That's uh, amazing. and likewise, he also got enough delegates or not delegates. Sorry. He had, he had enough donors and supporters to qualify for the next round of debates. So mm -hmm. I think it's more and more likely that Andrew Yang will actually win. And if that happens, there will be some, uh, you know, some policy changes, specifically the freedom dividend that I think will actually do more to stop these young male shooters from feeling like they should shoot up places mm -hmm. than, you know, these like sort of corner case gun control measures would. Although yeah. I still think the, we should do this. Even the gang violence. Like yeah, it, and gang solve... violence too, right? Because it gets at the core issue. It's not a, just mm -hmm. a symptom of the issue or a symbolic gesture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that would be really good for the the situation. So hopefully that does enter the the likely case, the very you know more than fifty percent likely case in the next few months. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I would say that it's more likely than not that we'll have a UBI in the next let's say 12 years. Yeah. Three terms that I can yeah. see that because I think it's the issue is coming to the forefront with Yang. And even if he doesn't win the next president, I think is probably going to have some version of it and, mm -hmm. or, or the one after that. But I don't think it, it'll be any longer than 12 years, just given the rate of technological change. Mm -hmm. And I think also, you know, we are seeing a global eco economic slowdown. And part of that's the trade war, you know, part of that is just not having made that many innovations in areas outside of computer mm -hmm. science and biology. So I think that's going to exacerbate this issue that we're talking about, where people feel like they're losers in society and they're trying to get back at life for being so hard on them. So, yeah. I, you know, the bad is that, you know, like you said, this is probably not going to be the last shooting, unfortunately. But on the good, you know, I think it, that will mean that we are going to have to deal with this issue very soon. And we can't just keep kicking the can down the road. So yeah. in the short term, I'm not that optimistic. But in the medium term, I am optimistic about this. We are all gathered here today. To yeah, I'm with you. Very, very important awesome. Thing. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the future of gun control. What is currently happening. And we'll see and you next time. And what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future.
Hey Futurists, if you've made it this far, you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers, and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.